Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. We've lost our way, frankly. And the fact of the matter is the church is a body, not a building or a system or a denomination. And a body has a head. And if my body doesn't follow my head, something is sick. Welcome to Life Support. As we begin the new year and nearly three years of life support programs, we want to revisit something from the past, our most popular two programs to date, with Christian psychologist and counselor, Diane Langberg. Dr. Langberg has a message that resonates now more than ever, a message addressing the uncomfortable topic of trauma and the church. Coming to you via Zoom, here is Pastor Paul with Diane Langberg. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Hey, it's great to have you on Life Support. This is a program where we talk about suffering. We talk about trauma. And we want people to come to know Christ in a deeper way and know that redemption is possible. And also, we want to give people tools to know how to walk their friends through this and and how to walk their own journey through this, which is very, very difficult. And so we have a really great guest here today. Dr. Diane Laneberg joins us, and she is just a tremendous expert in this field. She's a psychologist. Uh, She's worked with trauma and abuse for five decades, uh, both in the church and outside of the church. And um, she's got just an extensive background in this area. She also has a new book out that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But Dr. Lamberg, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. I guess the first thing I think of when I think of abuse in the church is that there's a almost a reflex action that this couldn't happen here, or um, this is somebody else's problem. Talk a little bit about abuse in the church. I mean, it's a big story now. Southern Baptists are grappling with this, and there's a whole lot of things going on. How prevalent is it, and how big a problem is it? Well, it's certainly far more prevalent than we thought, and it is a big problem. And how big that is, we don't know because people are still afraid to tell their stories. Hmm. Why so are they the numbers, afraid? The numbers are not real yet. I don't know if they ever will be. Yeah. Um, and they're afraid because they're, they're afraid they will either uh, be blamed or uh, dismissed Um were further damaged in some way. And many who have histories of abuse have already tried to tell a church and been hurt. So they're not very eager to try again. Mm-hmm. So they suffer in silence. Yes, they do. And pretend everything is fine if they can figure out how to do that. If, if you think about it, and this is not so much in the church, though it certainly is also in the church. But if you just think about national statistics, One in four women and one in six men are sexually abused before they turn 18. So you take that number and you think of your women's ministry and count off one, two, three, four. Or your men's ministry and count off one, two, three, four, five, six. They're always there. Hmm. And most of them have never heard anything about that, that event or series of events for many 
that has completely shaped their lives have never heard anything about that from the pulpit or from a pastor or from a leader or from a Bible study person, nobody. It's as if it were not there. Hmm. So I'm a pastor and I've got a flock here and I'm already doing the math <laughs> that you laid out. And it's a little bit frightening. It's, it's, uh, most pastors are not trained to know what to do. Where would somebody start to even know how to address this problem in his or her church? Well, the first they would start would be with humility. Mm -hmm. To acknowledge the fact that they didn't know this was so, they don't know what to do, and they don't want to hurt people, so they need to find ways to get educated about it before they do all the wrong things. Yeah. Um, and so they need to do some reading, maybe some courses, things like that, that teach them about different kinds of abuse, what it does to children, what it does to adults, what harms them when you try to reach out to them, and what helps them. Um, and the other thing they need to do is stand up and tell their church they have not thought of this. And lament, repent, because some of the most wounded people in their church who are probably some of the hardest workers too, mm. have never been seen in the place they are most wounded. They've never heard anything about what God or Jesus think about that wound and what they would say to comfort them. Um, and so there, there needs to be apologies. There needs to be an, an opportunity for them to understand that that pastor is is at least exploring this issue that uh, that is so deeply personal to them that they haven't maybe told anybody about it. And then the pastor ha the pastor has to be comfortable enough to know that it's going to lead to some messy areas, and uh, and maybe even in his or her own life things that the pastor hasn't even explored. Well, given that it's one in six males, some of the yeah. victims are the pastors. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And of course, there, as we know, <laughs> with the headlines and everything, some of the abusers are the pastors. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of the things. As I read through things that are happening in churches, that just make me very angry and and actually terrifying. My guest is Dr. Diane Langberg. She's a, an expert on trauma. Uh, you can see her at dianelangberg.com, or you can visit her on Twitter as well. She's got a great tw Twitter, very tw active Twitter account at Diane Langberg. And you have a new book coming out too, right? I do. Tell me about that real quick. Uh, it will be uh, out uh, October 20th. It's called Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. And when you think about abuse of any kind, you're also dealing with power mm -hmm. and how it has been misused to shore up the self, to crush people and things like that. And, and it's not understood well in general and certainly not understood in the Christian world, which uses words like authority, um, oversight, leader, and whatever to cover a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, servant leader is a better term or someone who's willing to give their lives for their sheep. It's just servant, yeah. Why? Why is this in the church of Jesus Christ? This is, 
The Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a healing place, a place where people can come and and they can be loved and cared for and be in community. And if you look at the Acts Church, you've got this beautiful community developing. Why is this so prevalent in the church? Well, I think over the years, uh, the church has in many ways, and certainly in this country, but also around the world, become more about the system than the sheep. And so there's far more interest and energy in building up the system, increasing the numbers in the pews, increasing the offering, building more buildings, having more programs, and all of those are seen as proof of God's favor. And all of those are also then used for blocking any listening to things that would threaten it. And so rather than really, we've lost our way, frankly. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is the church is a body, not a building or a system or a denomination. And a body has a head. And if my body doesn't follow my head, something is sick. My brain says to my feet, walk, they're supposed to walk. If they start kicking people, there's something wrong. We don't look like our head. That's not the main thing that we're emphasizing. We're not focused on love and obedience to Christ, no matter the cost. Which means even if the institution falls down, we will love and obey him. And so we we are protecting our systems, our reputations, our fame, our finances, but not his name. That's really profound because it starts really at all leadership levels of the church because you have pastors that sit under boards. Boards many times are counting particular things. The pastor feels a tremendous amount of pressure, and then that seeps down to the staff and so forth. And I love what you're saying about the head because as I look at the church in America, for me, this COVID experience has been a wake-up call that the church is a mess. And of course it's a mess because we're all sinners. And so I'm not trying to in any way disparage the church. I love the church of Jesus Christ. But this is a time when we can take stock and see where we really are. And my fear is that we'll come out of this searching for normalcy and go right back to where we were, which is not a healthy place. Yes. Yes. Well, you already see people pushing for that. You know, if we could just meet back in the building, everything would be okay. That's not about the building. It's about our hearts and our lives and how much they illuminate the character of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So if I am in a church and I see authority being abusive or I've been abused, I, I, I sense something's wrong. I don't know what level you want to go to that, with that. What do I do? How do I begin the process of getting healthy myself? How do I start to deal with some of these things I'm noticing or things I've experienced? Well, you, you need a, um, a refuge. You need a safe person. And you need a safe person who knows something about abuse and trauma. So that means the first thing you actually have to do is research that a bit Mm -hmm. and find those 
who actually understand those things and know how to work with them in a safe way. Keeping in mind that when I first started out all those many years ago, PTSD was not even a diagnostic category. Mm. I started out in about 72 or three, and it became a category in 1980. So I was working with Vietnam vets and I was working with women. And the reason I was working with women is because there were hardly any women in the field and they wanted to see a female. And what I discovered rather quickly was that the Vietnam vets and the women both lived in war zones. The women mostly in their homes, the vets during the war, and they had the same symptoms. Hmm. Since then, trauma has been studied and there's all kinds of wonderful resources out there. However, it's also become the new buzzword, which means that people will say, yes, I know how to work with trauma, but what it really means is they want to practice on you. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> so, yeah, right. So if you're looking for someone to help you, you need to have some questions that you can ask. How long have you worked with trauma? What kinds of trauma? Are you licensed? Um, who, who's influenced your thinking mm. by books and by trainings and things like that? Those are right and proper questions. They are very hard for victims to ask because they're afraid to open their mouths for good reason. But that's partly how they will keep themselves safe so that they actually research somebody before they go and see them. Yeah, because they don't want to be the guinea pig for someone who thinks they know more than they should and are dangerous enough to really do some damage in the meantime, right? Yes. If someone is just learning about trauma, they, and then the best thing they can say to you is, you know what, I'm just starting this journey and I'm getting consultations and supervision from so-and-so. And if you'd rather see the person who's already experienced, that's fine. I can assure you I will be consulting about the case. That's what humility would look like for a beginner. I mean, you have to begin. I don't have a yeah. problem with you beginning. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's how they, <laughs> I had to begin. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's how they do that, mm -hmm. whether it's truthful and how they seek to really understand and learn and put themselves under oversight of people who actually know. Mm -hmm. We interview a lot of trauma victims on this program just based on the very nature of what we're trying to do here. And it's a little bit of a unique niche and we've heard a lot of different stories from a lot of different types of experiences, whether it be sexual abuse or, um, you know, living with someone who's addicted and those kinds of things or, you know, uh, grieving a suicide, all these different things that happen in our broken world. And to a person, the big, the big pain that they experienced was isolation didn't, can't trust anybody. And the people that they once trusted, their community groups, their, their Bible study, their closest friends, at the beginning are there, but they drift away. Why is that? Well, I think in many ways, um, the church is better with physical sickness. If you say my body's full of cancer, they get that and they walk with you until you're buried. And often just do a wonderful job. But when it is something that is relational, interpersonal, or involves somebody who's a victim, 
we have a very difficult time with that which is interesting when you look at the scripture. So if a, if a wife come for, comes forward and says that her husband is battering her and she shows you the bruises or the marks or whatever, you ask her what she did. You don't ask a cancer victim that. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures are very clear in that what comes out of a person comes from the heart of the person, not the person standing in front of them. So when you have a domestic abuse victim, they are bearing scars from the other person Mm -hmm. and from their heart. Mm -hmm. So we tend to want to correct people. We often blame them. And we think that if they just trusted God, they wouldn't be anxious or afraid or any of those things. Like all the rest of us never have those feelings, which is ridiculous. We all have them. And there's no magic potion. And the more you damage somebody, the harder the healing is. Hmm. You know, if you kick somebody in the knee, the healing is going to be very different than if you run over both legs with a truck. Mm-hmm. And it's not up to you to say, you just need to get up and start walking. You need to be with, and you need to sit on the floor with if you have to. You need to enter in. That's the incarnational piece of what, working in this field. We have to become in the flesh what the person needs. You are listening to a rebroadcast of our most listened to program we've broadcast over the last three years. Christian psychologist and counselor Diane Langberg is Pastor Paul's guest for these two shows, addressing the uncomfortable topic of trauma and the church. For more resources like this and other topics like mental health and loss, Log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. That is www.lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. So you're talking about presence. You're, ta- you're talking about being willing just to be there with no answers and pray and just uh, walk alongside. Yeah, and that's hard to do for people because we don't like to see our friends hurt. And we don't like to see our lives derailed by someone else's long-term issues. So it's difficult to become that incarnational. It is. But I would suggest that Jesus' life was slightly derailed by our (laughs) issues. Absolutely. (laughs) That's very, very true. You're too much like me. See, we get people in trouble. But I'm 100% buying into what you're saying. I'm talking to Dr. Diane Laneberg, she's a, an expert in, in the field of trauma. She deals with people in, in all kinds of different areas. And it was, I found it interesting what you were saying about PTSD and how you began to see the correlations. When we think of PTSD as somebody coming back from the war and, and now you, you, know, you started to see it in homes and so forth. Are you concerned, cr- Christian homes, yeah. Are you concerned that this COVID-19 situation is going to really worsen the problem? I'm not concerned. I know that it has. I mean, the statistics have changed, um, partly because people are feeling out of control and they're afraid and they're stuck in a house and all kinds of things. So the numbers for domestic abuse have gone up um, and around the world, from what I understand. And the, the sexual abuse numbers 
are sometimes up and sometimes down. And the down is because the people who reported child abuse were the teachers and the nurses and all of those people. And they aren't seeing the children. Hmm. So the number of reports in some places has gotten less, not because anything's any better, but because it's worse, because there is no exit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most areas of the country, cities, towns, a lot of towns have domestic violence organizations you know, that work with women who live in homes of violence and need help and need to escape and need to have their children safe and all of that. It's been my experience over the years that the church has nothing to do with those organizations, unless it starts one. There are certainly Christians who have done that, but we don't ever partner or not very often with our secular neighbors. This is the time to do that. Mm. You know, if if you're concerned about domestic violence, for example, during this time, get a domestic violence shelter to do a, a training online for some of the people in your church so you know how to recognize the problem, so you know what options are available. Are there things you could... They don't have enough room for the victims that are coming in. Can you, as a church, provide food? Can you provide beds? Can you... Whatever. There are many ways for the church to be the church alongside some of these long working secular institutions and show them something of what God is like in the process hmm. rather the, than disdaining them because they're secular. Yeah. I, there are, there are many things we can partner with that, you know, truth is truth and justice is justice and the love of Christ comes through many different kinds of people. But we are out here, for example, in a very wealthy part of the twin cities and people here are very good at, wearing masks and they hide behind, you know, their busyness and they they all look great. And every, you look across the street and you see people living a wonderful life and you f feel like you're in Mayberry, but it's really not that way under the surfaces from what you're saying. No, it's not. And again, if the church begins to speak about these things and show concern for them and verbalize them from the pulpit, from the women's ministry leaders, from the men's ministry leaders, whatever, they'll knock on your door. Mm. But then we don't know what to do with them. And that's what you're saying. Get trained, learn something, and prepare for them to come. Well, let me just tell you a brief story about when I first started out, because I think this is what you need to know how to do first anyway. Um, a, a pastor's wife brought a young woman to see me who was clearly um, broken and completely terrified. And she had tried to help her and didn't know what to do. So she brought her to see me at 24 and I didn't know what to do either. And so she came to my office and she sat down in a chair across the room from me, curled up in a fetal position, shaking from head to foot and never said a word. I was 24. I figured if I talked enough, I'd find the right thing to say and she'd respond. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> she kept coming back every week, curling up and shaking and saying nothing until I finally decided the best thing for me to do was shut up and sit with her. So that's what I did for six months. Wow. At the end of that time, I thought of having her write something down, which I knew she wouldn't do in front of me because of her fear. So I gave her a question about, tell me one event that happened to you as a child. And she brought me a piece of paper the next week and handed it to me. That was her first speech. 
But this was in the 1970s. There wasn't anything about sexual abuse except Freud saying it never happened. And I didn't know what to do. So here's what I said to her, which was wisdom of God, not because I knew anything. I don't know what to do. My professors, I was in my doctoral program, don't know what to do. There are no books for me to read. I'm going to sit here and invite you to teach me what it is like to be you. Hmm. I'm not going to correct it. I'm not going to say it can't be true. I want to enter in and know what it is like to be you. She's influenced my entire decades of work. She did do that. In eyedropper amounts. That's what we need to do. Yeah, and that's, I can just feel the healing even come over me when you say something like that, how often we don't say that. I want to pursue that next time we're together because this is such an interesting line um, that we're on right now. Uh, Dr. Diane Laneberg is uh, an expert in trauma, new book coming out. Uh, Tell me again about the book. The name is? Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. Beautiful. And you can also check her out online at dianelangberg.com. And listen, if you're listening and you're alone and you're wondering if God does even sees you anymore, Psalm 9, 9 and 10 tells you that the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you for you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. God is there. He loves you. There's always hope because Jesus is in the business of reconciliation. I want to thank you for being with us in Life Support. We're here to help you find Christ through trauma. And I want to thank our partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media. You can check me out at Twitter as well, at Pastor Paul J. And thanks again for catching us on Life Support. for listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support